Welcome. We feel extraordinarily privileged that you would entrust us with your lives and with your sons and daughters. We don't take it lightly. Bethlehem College and Seminary exists to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. And we do it by trying to model and instill habits of mind and heart which see what is really there in the world and in the Word and understand what they see and evaluate fairly what they understand and feel intensely, either negatively or positively, what they have evaluated and then apply to all of life that wisdom and then express it with effectiveness, which implies that when you put the mission together with that strategy, we are a radically God-centered institution. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God, and we are relentlessly love-oriented, meaning if we don't do this for the joy of all peoples, and if we don't see and understand and evaluate and feel and apply and express effectively for the good of others, we fail. So there's this for the supremacy of God in all things, and there's this relentless, this is for the good of others, which is so relevant right now because our culture is collapsing, crumbling before our eyes at an unprecedented pace into a kind of evil that we would have thought unthinkable, which means that we're all tempted who try to be Bible people to be self-protective and fortress-oriented. And the love dimension can just shrivel up and they can go to hell because that's the way they're living. That's not what we're about. Fortresses are appropriate and have their place. The church is a bulwark and pillar of the truth. But to our dying breath, we live for others. So my, my point in this message, after I pray now, is to make a case from the Bible that thinking exists for the sake of loving. So let's pray. Father, I ask for your help now to be faithful to the scriptures we're going to look at so that what these authors intended would be clearly echoed, and I pray that hearts and minds would be given to these new friends so that they see what is here and understand it and value it accordingly, and then do all the application and expressing that would make it useful for others. 
We don't, we, we, we don't want to just circle the wagons and entertain ourselves with right thoughts. We want to be the kind of people and the kind of school that has a ripple effect in the world all out of proportion to our size. So come and help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have some slides, and that's the, the title slide, Thinking with Right Reason is ordained, is an God-ordained means of loving others. That's the thesis. And that little phrase, with right reason there, I'm going to make that clear what that is in a minute. Therefore, at Bethlehem College and Seminary, we aim to grow in our ability to think with right reason so that we may love others for Christ's sake. That's where we're going. I want to give you five passages of Scripture that show that to be the case. This is the hardest one and probably the most immediately relevant. 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to eating of food offers to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So the issue at Corinth is what do you do with meat sold in the marketplace that has been offered to an idol. May you eat it. If you eat it, may you invite others to eat it. If the pagans are eating it, can you go eat it with them? If somebody doesn't think you should eat it, should you eat it in front of them? And a whole host of questions that not only have to be answered on the basis of the vertical, is it okay between me and you, God, but is it okay lest I destroy anybody? It's a love issue, not just a freedom issue issue. So, these, these little, um, little uh, quotation marks there, those are editorial. They're not in the original. And they are the translator's effort to say something that's probably true, namely that those had become slogans. Slogans, all of us possess knowledge. And, and what's the knowledge? We know that an idol has no existence. We know there's no God but one. We know that. That's true. And it was puffing them up. And they were destroying brothers with true knowledge. So this knowledge puffs up. It's not what love does. So something's wrong with that knowledge. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. 
Now, that's an odd statement. It, it, it could so easily be taken to mean you don't know anything, and you can't know anything because if you think you know anything, you don't. Which means you should close up shop, Bethlehem College and Seminary, because you, you're, you're trying to get people to know things. And this just says, if you know something, if you think you know something, you don't know anything. So that's an odd sentence. It clearly doesn't mean that, because all ten times in this letter, Paul says, do you not know? Do you not know? <laughs> do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that you will judge angels? And if you know it, it should make a difference. And so he's not saying knowing things is wrong. He must be saying there's this kind of an imaginary knowledge. That's not real knowledge. And if you ask, what would that be? What, what's wrong kinds of knowing? Well, one answer would be if it's puffing you up, you don't know. You know, but you don't know. You got, your knowing is defective. Your knowing is broken. Your knowing faculty is being prostituted. And then comes verse 3, which is even more perplexing. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And it's like out of the blue, where did that come from? What? I would have expected him to say this. If anyone imagines, verse 2, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone knows as he ought to know, he's known by God. That just flows so wonderfully. <laughs> I would have written it that way. Isn't that good to be just smacked by the Bible against your expectations over and over again? which causes thinking to happen. <laughs> and the point of this talk is that thinking serves love. So you have to think and say, okay, he didn't say that. He put in the place of, if anyone knows as he ought to know, if anyone loves God. Hmm, that's worth thinking about. I, I take that to suggest when Paul thinks of knowing as you ought to know, he says one way of defining that is loving God. One way of saying that is if you know as you ought to know, you're loving God with that. Loving God is happening when you know as you ought to know. So, in two directions now, what is this um, imaginary knowing and what is this right knowing? The imaginary knowing is knowing that puffs up. And the right knowing is the knowing that builds up people through love and which loves God. So right knowing, not imaginary knowing, not the knowing that you think you have when you don't have, right knowing, right thinking is, is vertically I love you with my knowing, and I love you, you with my knowing. If my knowing doesn't make me thrill in God and love and lay my life down for people, I don't know. My brain has been turned into a prostitute, and I am using it falsely for my own private ends and not for God's glory and people's good. That's not the kind of thinking we want to teach here. So my point is, right 
thinking produces love. That's the point of this, of this text and my message. Text number two, 2 Peter 3. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you in accord, according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these, of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So, Paul has wisdom. Peter says so. And Paul said so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 13. We teach a wisdom which is not a wisdom of this world. It is a wisdom taught by the Spirit in words taught by the Spirit. Paul claims to be a verbally inspired echo of the wisdom of God. And so Peter says that's the way Paul teaches. He's of God. He is an authoritative, apostolic, true spokesman for the living Christ. Listen to him. And then he says, no surprise to us, some things in his writings are hard to understand. Here's my paraphrase of that. Hard thinking requiring words. Not impossible to understand, hard. Not shouldn't be understood, hard. Well, if they're hard, what do you do? You work. <laughs> you think hard. Which the ignorant and unstable twist. They won't do it. They won't do it. They won't work hard. They won't push through. Why? Because they're asterictoi. <laughs> Get that? They're amathetes and they're asterictoi. Asterictoi comes from sterizo, stand. So what's an asterictos person? They're translated unstable. That's good. Here's the hard thing to understand. Here comes a student at BCS who's asterictos. You don't want to be this. Walks up, hits the rock of the hard thing to understand, pushes a little bit, and then goes, bonk, falls down. I'm done. Can't do it. I tried 10 minutes I worked on that text. Fall down, give up. No, you push. You push, and you push, and you cry, and you pray, and you beat your head against the desk, and you push, and you study, and you push. We try to do mathes. Ah, mathes, not taught. These are not taught, unstable. They fall down easy because they're not taught. This is our mandate. Right? We don't want you to be like this. We don't want you to bump up against hard things in the Bible, perplexing things in the Bible, and just fall down and play dead. Because, you know, you don't fall down and play dead. You get up and twist. If you're a pastor or a mom or a dad or a small group leader, because you've got to say something, what are you going to say? You're going to make it up. 
be better if you were silent. If you fell down and don't understand the text, just be quiet. But they don't. They don't they're not quiet. They're twisting. If you have a job and you're paid to understand texts and you don't understand them, you lie. And when you lie, you destroy yourself. And if you're a teacher, you destroy others, and that's not loving. And therefore, hard thinking is a means of loving. That's number two. Number three, John 7, 22. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. This is Jesus talking. You circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Now, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, you hear the wheels spinning in Jesus' head, the logical wheels? Just hear them. If, if, if on the Sabbath you receive circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, and then he asks a rhetorical question, and you'll learn here that rhetorical questions are statements. Don't you know? Means you should, <laughs> right? Are you angry with me? You shouldn't be angry with me. Are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a, a man's whole body well. Don't judge by appearance. Don't think, criticize, come to conclusion superficially by appearance. Judge, judge with right judgment. Now, what's going on here? Jesus is is noticing that he has just healed a man on the Sabbath. The man was sick, and Jesus touched him and made him well. <laughs> awesome. Praise God. The Messiah is here. And he didn't. They got angry. He does not like that. What, 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 what does he do then? What does he do in response to their anger? He's just made a man well. They're angry. And he looks at him and he thinks. And he reasons like this. And beckons them to reason with him. Now, you circumcise a man on Saturday, the Lord's day. Why? Well, it says to circumcise him on the eighth day, it fell on Saturday, I guess we need to do it and compromise our convictions about not picking up any knives or doing anything like that on Saturday. We'll, just, we'll make that adjustment. Okay, I'm fine with that. So why are you angry? when I made a, a whole body well. You, you use your mind to develop a hermeneutic 
that enables you to obey the whole law by making adjustments appropriately for when the law seems to conflict with itself, you get it all fixed so that you can do what you think you ought to do. And when it comes to this, you're inconsistent. Isn't that the point? You're inconsistent. You're not following through rationally on your principles that you've already established of making some adjustments in what the law expects because the law says love your neighbor as you love yourself. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Do you make any adjustments for this man? Do you have any heart for this man that enables you to be consistent in your judgments? So, Don't judge by appearances. Use your brain rightly. Because if you did, you'd be happy about this, and that's loving. To use your brain wrongly with wrong judgments hates. Right thinking, consistent thinking produces love. Last text. Matthew 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him to test him, to Jesus, and they asked him to show a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when is his evening? You say, it'll be fair weather for the sky's red. Red at night, sailor's delight. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. Red in the morning, sailor's warning. You know, you know, you think so well, use your mind so well to interpret the appearance of the sky. You cannot interpret the signs of the times an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. No sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. They asked him for a sign. He called them adulterous. The bridegroom had come, Messiah, and the bride was to be assembled for the bridegroom. And they looked at their bridegroom, and what would you think if a bride looks at her bridegroom? And he says, I'm here for you, darling. And she looks at this other man off to the side over here, this man called money or sex or fame or whatever. He looks at this other man and he looks at the bridegroom and she says, 
prove it. Well, Jew, what would that say? You know what that says? If a bride stands in front of a bridegroom on the wedding night, <laughs> and he says, I'm so eager to have you. And she says, prove that you're the guy. Everybody would say, she's got another guy. That's all it means. She's got another guy. <laughs> it's him. You don't need any proof. It's him. He's right there in front of you. It's your bridegroom. You know your bridegroom. Don't you? Or are you got a love affair going with another man? Yes, you do. You're adulterous. You're an adulterous generation. So, since that's the dynamic of this moment, what does he say? How does he deal with this? <laughs> he talks about the sky. Let's follow him. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it'll be fair. The sky's red. So let's get in our boats and fish all night. We'll make a, make a killing tonight and we don't have to be afraid that the storm will rise in the dark because we knew we had the signs ahead of time. And so they're just wonderfully smart in Aristotelian logic. Premise number one, when the sky's red in the evening, storms don't come all night. Premise number two, it's evening and the sky's red. Conclusion, let's go fishing. You're thinking, well, got a brain, you're using it. I love it. I made it that way. In the morning, it'll be stormy today. The sky's red and threatening. Premise number one, when the sky's red in the morning, there's going to be some storms today. Premise number two, it is morning and the sky's red. Conclusion, we're not going fishing. Well done. Well done. Pure logic, good observation, right on. And you can't do that. Because you've got a lover. That's why. Your brain dysfunctions. When you have an idol, then you will use your brain to justify anything until your heart gets fixed. And what happens when the bride is the Pharisee and the Pharisee leads the people? Both of them fall into the ditch. That's what happens. When the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch, and that's the opposite of love. And therefore, wrong thinking kills people. Therefore, think over what I say, Timothy. Think, think, think rightly about what I, the authoritative apostles, say, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I am really jealous for this to happen here. <laughs>
Father in heaven, I plead with you that this year together, these young men and women will gain habits of mind and habits of observation, habits of heart that fit them to be the most ruthless, careful, wise, rigorous, sharp, faithful thinkers they can possibly be so that they will love you and love people, so that they will build up people and talk up you. Oh, Lord God, may all of us as a faculty administration and students pull together in doing the hard mental work of growing in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus. In his name I pray.